Hello everyone and welcome to episode 68 of the Uncovered podcast. I'm Bairam Kaz. You can find me at Def Mango on Twitter and with me as always is Jared Kimber who you can find absolutely everywhere. And before we get into all of the things that we have to talk about with respect to cricket, Jared has an announcement. We're splitting up Uncovered for all the audio listeners and Jared will get into the details. So, there you go. Here you go. Yeah, yeah, basically we've had real trouble keeping Uncovered down to less than 7 hours. Um so so the idea going forward is to have um when you're listening on the audio podcast you'll have the additional uh, the original episode go up which will usually be the one where we talk about the games from the weekend and then the next one will go up which will be about the the cricket news in, in the week so far. So cricket news will be about I don't know 24 hours out of date or whatever but it's just I know that a lot of people are having trouble with an hour and a half long podcast and everything else a little bit different on YouTube um so YouTube will just record it all in one go just because it makes it easier but if you are listening there'll be a Two uncovered and everything else during the week will be moved back. I I can't remember what the rest of the schedule is. I know I set it up <laughs> and and sent it through to Ishit, but I can't remember what it is. But but essentially, uh, the only thing that will be changing is if you're a podcast listener, uncovered will kind of be broken into two things. We will come up with a different name for each one, um, uh, as we do. But at the moment, it's just uncovered, sort of parts one and two, and then mm-hmm. as we go forward. Yeah. So as Jared said, welcome to Uncovered Part One, and we'll start <laughs> off with the cricket news. Of course, we couldn't fit in all of those things in the title, so we have all the results from cricket over there. But uh, yeah, there's a series going on, a test series between Australia and the West Indies, and it kicked off at the Adelaide Oval. And Australia crushed the West Indies uh, by ten wickets. But there was a story that came out of this test, the Shamar Joseph story. Bharat Sundaresan wrote an article on it, and it basically goes over his rags to riches story, how he grew up. in this remote village and then moved to a city from where you know basically the his village was a place where only there was there was one mode of earning everyone used to cut wood over there <laughs> he made that brave move to the city somehow ended up you know being mentored by curtly ambrose and then played five first class games before debuting in adelaide versus the mighty australian team world test champions and in his very first innings debut innings he took five for 95 and struck on his very first delivery removing steve smith with his first ball in international cricket he also scored 51 runs which included 36 in the first innings and basically jared it surely would have been an innings defeat if not for shamar joseph i mean he had a fantastic debut in these kind of um uh, ruined his life probably by being so good in his <laughs> first game this gave me so much pressure on him look I think what we're seeing here is a very similar story to probably what we've seen in Asia many times before, mm. right? Which is someone who played tape ball cricket, uh you know, played in the beaches in in his case. Um someone then says to him, "Mate, I think you're a bit better than this." And you know, he goes off and I think wasn't it his was it his neighbor or a friend of the family who paid for him to go to one of those camps? Hmm. I mean, he was neighbors with Romario Shepherd at one point. Uh, yeah, no, but I think the there was someone. I think there was someone yeah. involved. I'm trying to remember back to Barrett's article. It was obviously a yeah. couple of days back ago now, um, and you know, it it needed a lot of things to go right in order to get to the point that it has um, at the moment. And and I think um, from that point of view, just absolutely magical. I think mm. uh, from that, but you know, very much like an, an Asian story. And the one thing I would say is. This is kind of what happens when we have professionalism because you have a guy who has the ability to do, you know, to to obviously play cricket at a much higher level who is missed in the system as you said, you know, he grew up with Romare Shepherd so he's not, you know, he's in the back blocks but there are lots of Guyanese cricketers from random places have come through before but for whatever reason he was missed and if he's 18 and he hasn't really made it before probably in the old days of West Indies cricket nothing really happens right it, you know but now it makes sense to invest in, in you know in your skills and you know for for those sorts of things and curtly sees you know that the skill in him and everything else but but he also sees that he can change his life through playing cricket you know and make a proper living whereas even back 20 30 years ago maybe if he got to the top 5 or 6 best west indian players he could have a really good living chances are league cricket was the best he could do now who knows what his ceiling is and he's obviously a very exciting player you know moves the ball around a little bit uh, he's an interesting talent i don't know about his batting but certainly his bowling is very very interesting going ahead and um you know i've, I've been watching a lot of the under 19 bowlers this this week and you watch them and you realize how they've got the basic skills to be really successful but they don't really know that some of them don't know where to put the ball and some of them don't know how to put the ball in the same position 
every every delivery, right? And you look at him and you go, this is a guy who hasn't played a lot of cricket. Reminds mm-hmm. me a little bit of Mohammed um, Siraj in that his best ball is just naturally quite good. But his ability to sort of zip it around and everything means that he should be a danger in test cricket consistently if, you know, his body stays up and everything else. Mm-hmm. And who knows how he will grow from there. I mean, if that was his sixth ever first-class game, then that's some, that's a very positive sign. And I love how, you know, you mentioned you didn't know anything about his batting, but uh, he bought like an elbow guard or something right before the test because he was like, I'm going to have to play Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins. And then he ends up with 51 runs in both innings. And also, Jared, this is a guy who has only left, you know, the Caribbean once prior when he was with West Indies A. And this is his second time outside of, you know, his usual environment. The way he kind of, you know, wrote his own story and took the Adelaide test by storm. And basically, even though Australia won this test, he is the headline. It's just, you know, it's a magical story. I can't come up with a better adjective. Do you know, do you know there's one thing I really like about Australian cricket, and you see it in the Big Bash um, as much as you see it anywhere else, is Australian cricket is a little bit more story dependent than other mm. cricket cultures. I think. Most of the other cricket cultures are kind of more news dependent, right? Like, oh, you know, what's the news this week? You go back and you look at Sandeep Lamachani, who obviously not a good story anymore, but uh-huh. back when he played, you know, Mujib and, and, and Rashid Khan, and Harris Ralph and all these different players who've come Just in. recently, Ahmed Jamal, another great yes. story. Hmm? And, and, and Australian cricket culture is very good at kind of building those guys up. They forget about them five minutes later. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. You know, no one's talking about Adrian Barath anymore, right? But hmm. at the time they were. But they're very good at that sort of thing of really going, oh, this is the best story. We're going to go with it. And um, I really do, I, I think it's a perfect place for someone like him to make his debut and, you know, be properly, you know, thought of and everything else. Just a shout out, um, one of my friends made his test debut in this uh, game as well. Mm. Um, uh, Kevin Hodge, um, ah. who uh, I, won't, I won't put, the, I think I've got a photo of one of my boys sticking his finger in his ear for when, from when we were at Solution <laughs> together. Um, looked, he was introduced to me as, and I always remember this because it was the weirdest thing. Oh, this guy reads books, which does show you a little bit about cricketers. It was such a, a thing that they had to tell me that they found a cricketer who could also read books like I could. Um, but he, uh, look, just, this, just a sponge, just someone who really a thorough professional. I, I don't want to throw, you know, young fellow, um, away here, but, not the most naturally gifted cricketer. So for him to get to test level shows you how much he has worked and grinded and thought about his game. You know, didn't didn't have a, a great game or anything. I think he's played maybe a couple of one days before this as well. Um, Took a great catch. Someone's also, Alexander Cockburn has said that in the comment section. I remember someone tweeted that, bring back Pakistan. We're not used to people taking these great catches. <laughs> well, he... um. And so that was one of the things that we noticed about it. So we played him at St. Lucia. We had another bowler called Chris Lamont, who I think was a better natural bowler. But Kevin gave us a little bit of batting. Um, he gave us incredible fielding. Um, and uh, obviously, probably more of a part-timery bowler. I did he bowl in this test? I can't even remember. I don't think he did. I don't think um, he did. So, you know, he can bowl. And, you know, but more fifth, sixth bowler. You know, more sixth bowler probably than even a fifth bowler. Mm. But the point being that, uh, you know, he's just someone who's always worked on, on his career. And they're kind of those two stories are at the other end to it. Like Kevin Hodge, probably never going to have too many magical moments in international cricket. Um, pro- the sort of guy that might end up being a selector or a, or a coach, hopefully, because he is, you know, a very smart young man. Uh, well, not, he's not young anymore. Um, he's about 30 now. He's, he's almost over the hill. I don't know why I picked him. No, only joking. Hodge. But, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, so I love the fact that those still stories are those stories are out there, and those sorts of players, you know, are, are getting uh, their chance. But again, Kevin Hodge doesn't play in, for the West Indies now. If it wasn't for professionalism, they had to keep him around the system. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there is a lifeline for West Indies cricket. It doesn't mean that they're suddenly going. I think maybe it was Jeff Lemon or someone else wrote the piece this week of how hard it is for the smaller teams to compete with the bigger teams anymore, and and that is not going away. But professionalism when it gets to the whole game also changes uh, what's happening with West Indies as well. But clearly like no one thought, I mean, we thought Pakistan was going to struggle, but we thought West Indies uh, was going to struggle even more. And maybe the only surprise is that Australia didn't make like 550. Mm, Pretty much. And I mean, I did not expect, you know, the game to go to the fourth innings, but they forced it to go over there. And I mean, just back on Joseph, I think, Parath did justice to that story. It was a fantastic piece. Those of you who haven't read it, you can go read it on Crick Buzz. And I mean, he was here on Uncovered not too long ago. So maybe next Australian summer, you'll see a piece by me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who's, yeah. Your, who's your player that you've been stalking waiting for a chance? Well, the 
Border Gavaskar Trophy is happening next uh, Australian summer. So I don't know. Maybe Jaiswal is my story. But I mean, nah, it won't be him. It'll be some up. random kid that we yeah. don't expect to play. Absolutely. Maybe it's uh, Pukovsky after his ten thousandth concussion. But uh, yeah, I mean, prayers to him. Of course, he's he's uh, copped another hair blow to the head. Oh. We've got um, Hypocost, Alexander Cockburn, Quantify, Arco, and. Pratik Jha, my man Pratik Jha and Armin, all of you guys are in the comments. Thank you so much for being here and bearing with us. And uh, you mentioned Kevin Hodge. There was another batter in this game who was playing his second game, so not quite his debut, but he was the second highest scorer in this test match. Uh, Kirk McKenzie played some yeah. delightful strokes, scored a 50 in the first innings, 26 in the second. Have you seen uh, him at all prior to this test? Yeah, so I, I remember, I'm trying to think who it was, um, someone from the West Indies, might have been been Jimmy Adams actually, when he was around, uh, contacting me uh, and asking, uh, sort of suggesting that I should watch it, this guy coming through. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of young West Indian players sort of come into the side with like low first class averages and, um, you know, like comically low, like they shouldn't mm. be playing as professional batters type uh, uh, you know, type players. And he was kind of holding his own a little bit more when he was early on. And I can't remember maybe if it was Michelle I was talking to or someone else, but I think there's a few of us that thought that there might be a little bit more to him. The, the problem is, again, and I know where, you know, it's kind of ridiculous because we're talking about a guy who just played five uh, first-class games who did really well. But, you know, again, you're talking about someone who's made one first-class hundred. and mm. But there, there are parts to his game. I mean, you know, that... If you have a look at their side, you know, they've got um, Alec Athanase, um, uh, uh, Joseph, who we just talked about. Mm. You know, there's a few cricketers coming through of, uh, you know, sort of, what would you say, sort of, uh, I don't know the best way of putting it, but like, you know, a basic level of skill that is um, a little bit higher than we were seeing over the last couple of years. You know, obviously, Tejan Ryan is, is another one. Um, and so I, I think they look a little bit stronger, but I don't see in, in McKenzie someone who's going to average like 45 in test cricket and star, but if they can get him averaging 38, then they've got mm. another breath weight. Right. And yeah. he's, I, I like, I think they made him a, a slight mistake with Tate Jerome to keep him out the side as long as they did. Um, I understand the reasons and, 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 and there were many things going on there, but I think if you in the West Indies now, first class cricket doesn't seem to be preparing people for international cricket. So you're better off if you find someone young to throw them in a little bit. But that means we have to be prepared for the fact that Kurt McKenzie is going to struggle at times as well, right? And, you know, I, I, he's played two tests, hasn't he, I think? Yeah. He played against India, is that right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so look, I, I, think, he, I think him and Alec Athanas are both guys who maybe their top end is 35 to 37. But if you... Put that together with with Chandra Paul, who also might get to an average a similar, um, and then um, uh, you know, and while Brathwaite's still there and thereabouts, there's a few guys who can hold their bat, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, considering the fact that West Indies have lost a lot of their players, Jason Holder in particular, who uh, you know gave a great interview to Wisden, everyone should read that piece as well. You know, the fact that they're continuing to somewhat survive as a test-playing nation, I find that quite staggering. And if you get these Kirk McKenzie's and Alec Athanas's and uh, Shamar Joseph's to play for longer stretches of time, then maybe, you know, they'll continue to stay relevant because it does look quite daft. And I mean, uh, Kirk McKenzie averages uh, under 12 in T20s with a strike rate of less than 90. So maybe this is his calling. Who knows? Anyway. Oh my God, you're right. What the hell is that? (laughs) I have no idea. They can be certain that they won't lose him to, you know, the T20 boom. That's certainly sure. not Certainly not in the next little while. Uh, yeah. That is remarkable. Ask me the next question, but just so that you know, I am definitely going to be looking that up now. Yeah. Well, I mean, time to shift our focus to Australia. And we spoke of Kirk McKenzie being the second highest run scorer in this test match. The highest run scorer is someone who has made a bit of a habit of scoring runs in tough conditions. Travis Head, the man with the moustache and the hero from both the World Test Championship final and the World Cup semi-final and final, has once again scored a counter-attacking ton in a very testing conditions. And he scored 119 of uh, 134 deliveries. And he's transforming Jared from this cult hero into someone Australia can rely on consistently. And he's carrying that insane form from 2023 into the new year. And it's quite the transformation, I'd say. So Kurt McKenzie. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's, so his top score is 28 in T20 cricket. Um, and that's those numbers come over like three years. Like it's not like he just had a bad run. It's like being consistent over a period of time. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, Travis yeah. said, yeah, he's also good. Um, Travis said, <laughs> look, I think I, I always thought with Travis said that clearly Australia were very, very keen on him. And and so he played in innings in the Big Bash where he made 140-odd, I think. I can't remember what his score was, but it was a big, big T20 score. And Australia kind of went all in on him. And I was like, whoa, this guy can't play spin. And as we found out afterwards, couldn't play when the when right arms were coming around the wicket to him. Like he had so many deficiencies. And I think it does show you that Australia is maybe slightly better at, I think they're slightly better at well, maybe two or three different things when it comes to developing talent compared to other countries. Mm. One is they do back talent. So they were like, no, no, you can't play the innings he played in the Big Bash. I think he played a couple of other innings as well without being ridiculously talented. Another thing they 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 did was is I think they made him vice captain early on as well and all sorts of stupid they things. Did. I remember yeah. that. In fact, I feel like they're still earmarking him as a future captain. Yeah, very, very possible. But mm. so he came in and then when he was dropped and he was, you know, he, he was terrible at a cu- against a couple of things. Um, they, you know, we see this with... Sri Lanka is maybe a really good example of this. If someone will come in and like, you can tell they've got talent and then they don't make runs for a little while. And then it's like seven years later, we see them again, right? Australia is much better off, uh, uh, much better at going, no, no, I think this, you know, Usman Khawaja, for all the talk about Usman Khawaja, no one would be talking up Usman Khawaja if he played nonstop test cricket all the way through his career because he had huge dips, right? Yeah. But also... Australia made him earn his way back in by making lots of runs, but then backed him when he came back in, right? Mm. And I feel like Travis had very different kind of cricketer, but they've done a similar thing with uh, where they, like they didn't, when he made runs against England at home in the Ashes, they didn't want to take him to India. And it's not, again, it's not that they thought he was a dud or anything, but they were like, we've just made runs at home against England. We're now going to take him to India and he's going to have to face Ashwin. Do we want him to be completely deflated by not being able to hit um, Ashwin? But then the other thing, is going well. Wh- why don't we just let it lead, let him off the off the chain, essentially, and let him play the way he wants to play? And I think that's one thing that Australia does really well. And I think Travis Head is the success of the Australian system. And let's be honest, he comes out of the most rancid first class system in Australia. Apologies to everyone from South Australia, but you you all know it's true. Um, in fact, I had Tom Moffat on the other day. The uh, the Fika. Um, what is he, CEO of FICA, the Players Association on a podcast that will come out in the next couple of weeks. And I said, don't worry, Tom, I'm not going to ask you what the hell is going on with South Australian cricket for the last 20 <laughs> years. But, you know, uh, Travis Head probably didn't come out of the strongest one. So, again, that almost gives them an op- opportunity to overlook him. Like, if you look at Callum Ferguson and Mark Cosgrove, they both – I thought Callum Ferguson did really well in one-day cricket for a little while and I thought should have been given more opportunities – uh, Mark Cosgrove, I think, again, proved that he was certainly international quality. Because they were in a rancid South Australian system, they kind of could have done that. They didn't do that with Travis Head. They decided that this was – they earmarked him as, as you said, a potential captain, but also more important than that, you know, someone who could make a difference. And then they helped him with his technical problems. But what's the thing that's really helped him? He's still got technical problems, but he just smashes it, right? Yeah. And so it's harder to corner him now than it was before. And, you know, he was – he was timid when he first came into test cricket. He was timid and full of holes. He was basically, I don't know, Emmental cheese. What's a cheese with holes? Is Emmental good cheese? <laughs> I, I mean, it's okay cheese. But is but it I the one it with the holes? holes. And it, it melts be, yeah. quite quickly. I think it, it melts. One of the melting cheeses with holes. Swiss cheese? <laughs> does Swiss cheese melt? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, Swiss, Swiss cheese does have holes though. But does it melt quickly? I'm looking for a right. high... This is. I mean, uh, this, I'm, I'm not. This could be a spin-off podcast. That level. Yeah, it could be a whole, a whole, a whole um, uh, separate one. The point being that that's what he was like. He, he just, you know, he didn't handle pressure particularly well. I don't think he understood his game particularly well. And on top of that, he had flaws within his game, right? And they've just backed him in so many different ways. And and I do think, um, you know, we're seeing the, you know, them and and you can go Mitchell Marsh as well, right? Of two yep. players that they have backed that they have repeatedly brought back. Um, uh, you know, there was so much mocking of Mitchell Marsh for a long time. I don't think Travis Head ever got to that because he kind of got dropped with the minute it looked like he was any good. Uh, sorry, he wasn't any good. Um, but I, I do think they're very good at going, no, 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 okay, he's in a bad run of form. He doesn't need to be in the side now. And that's really 
kind of what you should do with your players, right? I think there's this whole idea in cricket, and I suppose you could talk about lots of sports, but I think certainly non-team sports, so non-franchisee sports, right, of like he needs to be great at 21 if he's going to be great at 31, and it's like, but not if he develops slower, right? Mm -hmm. Not if he doesn't believe in himself. There are incredible cricketers who just take a long time, you know, if you look at Ricky Ponting, he essentially was great in his peak batting age. And I think there's a few other cricketers like that. Dennis Amos, I think, might be another one. Hmm. They weren't particularly good beforehand. They weren't particularly good after, right? They were fine. But a lot of players need to find that period. And once they have that period, they absolutely explode. Um, and so when you're dropping people and selecting people, you need to have that in mind. It's one reason I like the fact that Renshaw is still around right? Hmm. Because they're like, no, Renshaw clearly is an international quality batter. We're probably not going to pick him automatically again until we're, um, we're sure that he's ready. But we also don't want him to be out of the system. And hmm. I think that's what a lot of smaller teams, that's one thing they can learn from. Keep people around the system so that they are d- still developing the same way, but without having to face Ashwin or, you know, hmm. Dale Steyn on, on a green one. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. And I mean, Australia have clearly kept the faith and liberated Travis Head. And now he's repaying that faith and then some. And I mean, he's got a home ground ton over here. I mean, South Australia kid who's uh, scored a ton in Adelaide and an important one. Anyway, last point on Australia. Of course, Head may have scored that 100. But what really won Australia this game was their fantastic pace bowling. Cummins and Hazelwood took uh, four wicket hauls, both of them in the first innings. And then... Hoff basically doubled down on that with a Pfeiffer in the second innings. Both some absolute peaches in this game and would make for great highlight reels. He ended with figures of 9 for 79, which are his career best figures mm. overall. And he surpassed 250 test caps for Australia in the process. What a legend of Australian cricket. Yeah, it. I mean, he's one of those players who just comes at the wrong time, right? Like he's got, he's, he's got Pat Cummins at the other end. And he's not quite as good a version of Glenn McGrath as Glenn McGrath is, right? Like, if 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 Hazelwood comes along um, in the mid seventies with these kinds of numbers, uh, it's an absolute legend. Or you know, maybe mid sixties is a better better way of looking at. It. But Australia's had so many great bowlers around him at all times. But uh, he's his ability to combine height with accuracy and lateral movement is really really special. I remember. When he was coming through, and I'm trying to remember if Mitchell Stark was part of it. I think when the four of them were coming through, but maybe Mitchell Stark wasn't part of this. But I know that Pattinson, um, Cummins, and uh, Hazelwood, when they were all coming through, I remember having a podcast with Ed Cowan. And this is, Mm. these guys were like 19 at this stage. And I said to Ed Cowan, who do you think will be the best? He said, he th- he, everyone at that stage thought Cummins would be the best. And he thought that Hazelwood might actually be the best of the three. Mm. Um, Sadly, with Pattinson, we never got to see his best. He just was never yeah. fit long enough. And uh, if, you ever, if you've ever seen Pattinson bowl one good spell, you will understand why people still talk mm-hmm. about him, despite the fact uh-huh. that he never quite made it. But, but uh, I, Hazelwood probably isn't better than Cummins, but it has been absolutely fantastic. And the, I've all, what I've always liked is the juxtaposition of him and Stark together. You know, there's a little bit of, you know, Wackar and Wazim. You know, very different kinds of bowlers who have different skill sets, who are good at different times in the game. All those different things that they both have, um, you know, really, really works quite well, I think, um, uh, for Australia at the top. And then, of course, you know, Pat takes the ball first change. And good luck to you if you're a young West Indian trying to make your way in the world. Yeah. And I mean, I remember they did, you know, put up a you know, resistant sort of stand in the first innings. They didn't lose a wicket and then Cummins uh, came and I think he removed uh, Tej Narayan and Cameron Green or Cameron Gully took that catch mm. and he's, he's made quite a reputation for himself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic career, I think, and 250 test wickets is, uh, you know, it's quite an achievement. And he will always go down as the least celebrated of those three. Uh, and incidentally, brought up Pattinson. Uh, the last time those guys played together, I reckon it was the Headingley test where Stokes kind of uh, stole the headlines. Mm. I think that was that test, right? Where they were like, oh, we're all going to get to play again. But I mean, he hasn't, Hazelwood, really. I mean, he wasn't taking a lot of wickets uh, at the start of the summer. And then he unleashed that over from hell versus Pakistan in the second innings at the SCG. And he hasn't really looked back since. And I was surprised that 9 for 79 are his best figures because I would have assumed he would have gotten a 10 for at some point. But uh, I mean, I don't... Was it Joel Garner 
Did Joel Garner never get a 10 for? Am I, I'm trying to remember. If you poll in one of those attacks that's stacked, it is just hard to get 50% of the wickets. Like, it, I don't yeah. think Shane, Shane Warne got a lot of um, uh, 10 wicket hauls as, uh, as well. Like, you know, we've seen great bowlers not get them. I, I think, obviously, if you're Fuzzle Mahmood or Richard Hadley or Murali, you have an excess of 10 wicket hauls, but it's because no one can get any other wickets, right? So, uh, you know, those things do happen. It's, it's surprising, um, but, uh, it, you know, if you look at him, he really – and the other thing I would say for him as a 10 wicket bowler is he really is a new ball specialist. Uh-huh. I don't mean he can't bowl after that because he certainly can, but he is of – compared to Cummins and Stark, he is probably the guy who – well, he is probably the guy who's the most one-dimensional uh, with his usage, but that one dimension is getting out top order players from around the world. So, you know, you take it. Yeah, I mean, definitely works out for him. And on that note, we shall take a break. We'll be back with more cricket news. India and Afghanistan is up next, so stay with us. You're watching Uncovered with Jared and Bayram, and we'll be back after this short break. Remember that cricket is a funny game. 100 years before we protected our heads, players looked after their groins. So don't be as stupid as old cricketers and protect your computer today. NordVPN is the protection I use when facing cyber shortfalls or when rights issues try to dismiss me. NordVPN will help you get through the straight bat of any geo blocks so you can watch all the cricket you want. If you need your pitch changed, well, NordVPN can doctor any surface to a new location so that your IP address is set up for you to win. Want to buy an associate cricket shirt from a place that won't ship to your country? Select NordVPN. Want to watch a game on a free stream in another hemisphere? NordVPN. Or if you just want to watch a clip on social media that a cricket board won't allow you to, promote NordVPN to pinch it for you. So if you need a VPN, go Nord. Use nordvpn.com forward slash Kimber to get a huge discount off your Nord VPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. The link is in the show notes. Protect your computer like a cricketer protects its nether region with NordVPN today. Welcome back to the Uncovered Podcast here with Behram and Jared. And we're going to be talking about India versus Afghanistan up next. So in the last Uncovered Podcast, we had basically covered the series. And then there was just one game remaining. Mm-hmm. And the 30 20 international between India and Afghanistan at the Jinnah Swami Stadium, Bangalore. We basically got the greatest dead rubber of all time. Afghanistan leveled India's first innings total of 212. After which we saw two super, super overs in the same game in an international match for the very first time. Uh, Cries in boundary count. And also, we saw lots of drama. Uh, India won at the end. And I don't think, Jared, I've ever seen Rohit Sharma this riled up in a cricket game before. I don't think I've ever seen someone bat three times in a T20 game. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe they have, and I just haven't seen it. Controversially, because he had retired out in that first super over. I'm not sure what the laws say over, uh, over here, but a lot of people were complaining when he came out to bat again in the second super over. Do you have any info on that? No, I never looked into it. I mean, obviously, I saw it happen. I, I... I don't. I wasn't watching that game partly because it was a dead rubber, and then um, I was chatting to someone, and and I said, "Look, I'm so sorry. I'm sure you're watching the game, and I, and I've ruined it." And and he was like, "Oh yeah, I haven't." Checked. And suddenly we both realized what the hell was happening. We went over and uh, and we saw a couple of uh, um, super overs. So no, I was more watching it just for fun. I didn't look at the regulations. I was a bit shocked that you couldn't use the same bowler twice, hmm. um, which I didn't think made sense. Um, yeah. I would think if you can't use the same bowler twice, you can't use the same batters twice would be the other regulation that you would have. Um, that makes sense. Uh, but, yeah, that seems like an error in it. But, yeah, it was just it was captivating TV. I, I loved it was um, like everyone going, oh, what a genius. He used the leg spinner. And, and I was like, well, <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's just – that's not genius. I've seen – I think from the first time I ever saw a super over, I think I saw a spinner bowl in it. Like it's really interesting the way that people sort of, you know – Trying assign genius to just basic things of, oh, well, they smashed our seamers. Maybe if we try someone who's not a seamer and we'll give it a go. Um, uh, but, yeah, no, it was, it, was a, it was a fantastic game. Uh, sadly, um, only two super overs in the end, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, I was really looking forward to a third. And, I mean, it was entertainment guaranteed. Everyone got their money's worth, whoever made the trip to the Chinnaswamy Stadium. And, I mean, Rohit got pissed originally when Nabi took those buys. And, I mean... He was walking, you know, in the direction. Like, he didn't change his direction. The ball hit him. It was very Stokesy from uh, the 2019 World Cup final, kind of. I, I'm not sure why w- what the hiccup was over there. Because, I mean, you take those runs, right? 
Well, so it's very interesting. There are certainly cricket cultures in the world who do not take those runs. I remember, um, I think Ashwin might have tweeted about it. Um, And I'm trying to, let's see if I can find his tweet. Ashwin, bye. Because he tweeted about it. Oh, he's done a podcast as well, has he? Um, <laughs> wait, I'm just trying to try and bring up the thing. He's sick because I'm just trying to find out what he said because it was really, really interesting. Um, uh, uh, oh, I can't find the tweet. Sorry. Um, I mean, it's all right. But no, no, but the reason why. You're being persistent with the tweet. I like that. No, because I'm just trying to find it. I'm just trying to find his freaking words. It's really annoying. But, but. But essentially, you know, um, some people got annoyed with it, but I don't think you can get annoyed with it if you are. Oh, okay. He wrote three deflected buys. Interesting. And then I think he went on to say something um, uh, about it bef- uh, later. And he of, uh, he obviously brought up the spirit of cricket. Um, mm. and, uh, and, he, and what he said was, if we had the effective party on the field, we get very irritated with whatever happens, right? I think, I think I've got all that. Correct, right? I'm trying to put articles together while we while we live chat. <laughs> but but the reason I found I found all that interesting is because that is that's the kind of the truth of it. Whereas yep. I think Ro, uh, Rohit got really upset. Whereas um, we have seen situations where you know weird things have happened, like you know when Virat Kohli got bowled um, by the free hit, and India took the runs. And I know that's a separate situation, but again, we have seen weird situations like that before. Sometimes the ball hits you through no fault of your own, and I know plenty of players who are very experienced who will say, "You don't want you don't want me to get overthrows. Don't throw the ball near me, right?" Uh, and I, you know, and there are many other players who have done this. I remember the Australians getting really, really angry at I want to say Atherton and Crawley doing it in a Test match um, years ago, perhaps in Australia, and England were down and out and the ball hit Athens bat and he ran. I think he was just thinking we need we need runs by any means necessary. But yeah, the reactions are generally based on where you're from. So I like the fact that Ashwin was a little bit more cold blooded with that and it was like, no. But but the truth is that like, there are some cricket cultures who are really against it and there are some cricket cultures who are like runs runs is runs, man. Um yeah. and it's another one of those spirits of cricket nonsense where it's like if the ball's live, you should be able to run. Um and and it's it is different sometimes if you know you've accidentally got in the way of the ball, um, and it's your fault, and you you've gone in the wrong direction. But if you haven't done that, I think it's up to the batter. And I've got absolutely no problem with taking runs in in that situation. Yeah, likewise. And I mean, maybe it was stemming from the fact that Rohit Sharma he had quite a week, right? He had gotten two consecutive ducks in the first two games. A lot of the Kohli fans were writing him off, and then he scores the 69 ball 121, which was a catch-up innings, which makes it even more remarkable because mm-hmm. India were four down for nothing, basically. So maybe, you know, the fact that he had performed and he really wanted to win this, that's where those emotions were coming from. And of course, I think the Rohit fans then distributed free meals or something. So it's quite interesting, whatever that what is happening on that front. I, um, I think I think it was, I think what him and Kohli are trying to do really is reinvent themselves as T20 cricketers to get to that next mm-hmm. World Cup, right? And be, sorry, not get there, because I might get there anyway, but be a factor, right? Yeah. And... It, it's funny, I think we said something on a podcast, and I, I, I could have misread this, but I think someone on Patreon got really, really upset with something that we said about Rohit and, and, and Virat. But the, prob- the, the point is that they both are going to play. And, but yeah. in order for them to be useful, they are going to have to reinvent themselves. And at both times, you know, Rohit fails twice and then plays an incredible innings, as you said, hmm. you know, sort of a catch-up innings because of where the game was. Yep. Virat looked like he was attacking massively at the top of the innings. These guys have all the weapons to be great T20 players. It was bred into them, and I don't blame the players because there's too many players like this around the world uh, for it to be just those two guys. It's bred into these guys to, you know, think about your wicket first and chip the ball around and all this sort of stuff, and the game moved on beyond them. Um, but they still have the weapons to be able to bat that way if if they want to. And You know, I always equate it to... Um, uh, watching Ian Botham try and uh, play as a pinch opener for England in the 1992 uh, World Cup, where it was like, that clearly probably was a role he should have really, really been good at. And they were sent up there. He just, I think he had one innings against Australia. He ended up with a ridiculously low strike rate and he couldn't work it out. But realistically, if Ian Botham is born 10 years later, he'd probably an opening batter in ODI cricket or a, or a, you know, a Lance Kluzner type. It's hard to retrain yourself um, as as a player late in age, but 
teams generally for World Cups like experience. Yeah. I mean, both of them, like you said, have the skill set. Rohit has evolved his game. We saw that in the ODI World Cup as well. It's very admirable because, like you said, it is embedded into them from a very early age that you have to put a price on your wicket. You don't just have to go and throw it away. And they are trying to change that. And they will 100% be in India's squad. Whether or not they play each game, that's still, you know, the jury's still out on that because you've got Jaiswal and Gill. But I still think they will because they are Rohit and Kohli and you cannot look past that. But something or another player that we definitely cannot look past anymore is Rinku Singh. He played a phenomenal hand in this game. He scored 69 not out of just 39 deliveries. He smashed Kareem Jannat for 36 runs in the final over of the innings. And that wasn't via six sixes. I think there was a, a, a no ball or a wide or something like that in there. But ultimately, that was the difference between both teams, right? You, you score 36 in the final over and then you tie the game and then you win it in the second super over. So very, very handy knock. And this is someone, Jared, who in 11 T20i innings now has 356 runs at an average of 89, striking at north of 176. So, considering all of that, and, you know, India have other players in Tilak Verma and Shivam Dubey, but I think if you look at all of them, only one of them is probably going to get to play in the World Cup, right? Not all of them. So, Ooh, is yes, he a lock now for the T20 World Cup, right? Considering he has this sort of record. Uh, I mean, and from... India, also, India do not play another T20 international till the World Cup because they're playing a test series, then they're playing the IPL, then boom. Yeah. I mean, the, the IPL is their domestic tournament, so they can certainly use that as form. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if he's if he's a definite player or not. Um, I, I think that's a that's a fair question. What I would say about him is that when he first came in and he made runs down the order, I think we've seen occasionally Indian players come in um, in lower lower pressure spots in IPL teams and make some runs, and then it kind of fades away. And what I really like is that he's gone the opposite way. Where the more we see of him, the more impressive he looks at the moment. Um, I think of the three players you picked, he's the one I trust the most. Uh-huh. It's still early though, like and this World Cup, you know, it, maybe maybe it will be uh, defined by what happens in in the um, in the IPL and everything else. But he seems sh- to me like a better Rahul Tevatia, was it the the finisher guy from the IPL? Well, he's a perfect example of someone who made one one score. Yeah. Um, and a cu- I know he's played, made a couple, but it's like, mm. you, w- I would watch him and go, what am I missing here that everyone thinks this guy is the <laughs> next thing? Whereas Rinku Singh, I remember, I think it was last year, everyone kept me, wanting me to make a video on him, on him. And I was like, I just want to see more. I just want to mm. see more of him. And the more you see, he's just like, well, I, I don't, it just seems like it, it works to me. Now, obviously the average is ridiculous and that isn't going to stay you know and even the strike rate might come down a little bit as teams start to work out where to bowl to him better and and everything else but he looks like the kind of player that India hasn't come up a a lot of um uh, you know just a a genuine player who likes that last six to eight overs of an innings um and you know my biggest fear is that he'll end up batting at number four and become an anchor but uh at the moment it doesn't look like that's going to happen I mean, Hardik Pandey already does that kind of, right? He does all sorts of things. They did it to Rishabh Pant as well, man. They've done it to so many of these guys. It's like, stop it. These guys, let them be them. I mean, absolutely. And we don't even know who the keeper for India will be in this T20 World Cup. I reckon that uh, Rishabh Pant might be back this IPL. Then you've got KL Rahul. You've got Jitesh Sharma, who they're trusting. So it'll be an interesting lineup. But I definitely see Rinku Singh in that playing 11. I think he should be starting for India in that World Cup. Uh, let's uh, move a bit towards Afghanistan. Of course, Washington Sundar also did well, but we don't have enough time. We need to go forward. No, if you start me talking about him, we'll be here for an hour. Yeah. So let's not do that. Yeah, we've got lots to talk about. And Afghanistan, of course, they played a really, really good game. Mohammed Nabi once again added an insane amount of impact in this game. He's had a great series. Farid Ahmed with the ball took three for 20. Uh, and then Gurbaz, Zadran and Gulbadeen Naib, all of them scored 50s. The latter went pretty much like bonkers, absolutely mm. berserk. Uh, so much so that he was dubbed as the find of the series by Deep Das Gupta. Gulbadeen Naib Jared was the find of the series. And <laughs> I just find that hilarious because just last podcast, we were talking about how he's been around forever. <laughs> the world's oldest cricketer is the find of the series. Um, <laughs> look, uh, good on him. As I, You know, to go back to the, the Kevin Hodge thing from before, I, I, those are the sorts of players I respect because... Mm. They have worked and worked to stay relevant, to stay in the system, you know, to do whatever they can to make some runs um, and, you know, on take wickets and be handy in the field and all those sorts of things. 
Gobadine is still not, you know, he's never going to be a consistent star. Um, yeah. But what I never doubted with him is his professionalism and his mm. um, commitment to his own career. Uh, I, anytime he does well, I'm happy because he, I, I, I think he's, he's one of those people who I find brings joy. You know, I, I, when he when he captained the 2019 World Cup, like that was a, a shit show. He should never have been in charge. Didn't seem to really understand leadership or anything. But he was a joyous person on and off the field during that World Cup. And I think that's something we should always remember with him. Yeah, we also remember the big guns because that's Lots his trademark celebration well. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I suppose Afghanistan really missed Russia in this series because had he been around, maybe the scoreline could have been different. But uh, one final thought on any Afghanistan. That Kohli uh, save, did you did you get to see that on the boundary line? I think I did see that. I can't remember a Kohli save. He leaped and saved a six and then they uh, captured the still of it. Yes. And everyone started making fun of how it looked like he was bowling like Bumrah. I, I think <laughs> someone mentioned this. Alexander Cockburn mentioned this in the comments as well. I remember a couple of years ago, I reckon it was a TV. Someone who worked in TV and cricket said to me, mm. if you look at a lot of the, the catches on the powdery and you, and you freeze them, that they look like bowlers. And... And I didn't see this Virat Kohli thing this week, <laughs> but I hadn't thought about it since then. So, and it's probably right because there is a lot of, you know, arms up in the air. But um, no, no, I mean, we, I think with Virat Kohli and probably with Steve Smith, we've almost forgotten what tremendous athletes they yeah. are and have been. Steve Smith, when he first started, was one of the best ground fielders I've ever seen. He was absolutely incredible the way he would move around. And, you know, age wearies those athletes a little bit as, as well. And also, just if you have to bend over a bat for 30,000 balls, your back doesn't allow you to do magical things as often. But I think in, in Virat's case, and and you probably throw Joe Root, who's a different kind of athlete, I think, to the other two, but again, a very interesting athlete. They have natural athletic properties and sometimes yeah. we don't always um, give them the credit that we should for those sorts of skills. Yeah, uh, remarkable take and really it is, uh, you know, an ode to his fitness that too at this age. Uh, I mean, I've always been mad impressed by Kohli, the athlete, and this just goes on to solidify that. So anyway, congratulations to India. Uh, they don't play another T20 international, but because they play the IPL, they should be able to figure out what sort of 11 works best for them. And this ends there. T20 international cycle till that World Cup and also the segment. So Jared and I still have lots to talk about. You're watching The Uncovered with the both of us and we'll be back after this short break to talk about New Zealand and Pakistan. Thanks to the kind folks at FlexiSpot for looking after my office and my butt by sending me their E7 Pro desk that save your favorite desk heights at a touch of a button. You don't have to crank anything. This thing just finds the height that you like and you can work. And their BS12 Pro chair that supports my posterior while I'm recording, well, this ad and all my shows. If you need great desks, especially ones that change heights or the best quality chairs, head on over to FlexiSpot. Welcome back to the Uncovered podcast. You're with Jared and Behram and we are going to talk about New Zealand and Pakistan who just finished a five-match T20 International Series. The scoreline was 4-1, Jared, but Pakistan finally won a game of cricket. The last time they won was November 4th, 2023 when they quote-unquote chased down 400 versus New Zealand. And what's more astonishing is that they spun their way to victory. This was a team that was consistently scoring, uh, or sorry, conceding North of 200 in this entire series. And then they, you know, only make 134. Everyone thinks they're going to get hammered. And in classic Pakistan fashion, on brand with their heritage, they bowl New Zealand out for 92. And, and the spinners, Nawaz and Iftikhar, they come to the fore. They take five wickets combined. And yeah, only Pakistan could do that, I feel. The whole consistently concede 200 plus and then defend 134. I don't think any other team is capable of that. <laughs> also, we're two of the least likely people of all time to be strike bowlers, yeah, right? Literally basically. two kind of defensive specialists. Look, <laughs> it came together and it's fine. I don't... I, how do you feel about the World Cup, the impending World Cup uh, as, a, as a Pakistani analyst? You want to give me the whole Pakistan perspective? You want me to go on a rant? No, not as because a fan. I, I mean, but more... No, no, no. As, as an analyst. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you uh, watching this series, I know it's slightly different wickets and everything else. Mm. Nothing seems to be fixed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So basically, they might have avoided the whitewash and that must be like fun and games or whatever. But uh, strategically, I thought they were 
consistently behind the eight ball all series. Their core players uh, in Babur, Shaheen, Rizwan, Fakhar, they played all five games. Mm-hmm. Whereas youngsters like Thayma Yub and Azam Khan were dropped halfway into the series. Zaman Khan, who was, uh, you know, a bowler, who had a stellar year in franchise T20s last year. He wasn't played consistently. You were bowling death over specialists in the power play every single game. In one of those games, in the first six overs, Shaheen bowled two. And then Zaman and Haris bowled two each as well. So that's four overs of the death in the power play. And then there's this other guy, Sahib Zada Farhan. He's an opener by trade. He was the top scorer in Pakistan's domestic T20 Cup. And he was selected for the series. And he batted at five. And then at seven, Jared, he batted at Marco Janssen's number. And it's just like baffling to me how any of this made sense because even Azam Khan, he was batted out of position and they didn't even make use of the leg spin matchup uh, too frequently with him. It seems like there's a resistance to change that's maybe stemming from some sort of insecurity among the senior players within the camp. And the management is out of sorts. Of course, you know, the professor Mohammed Afiz, he was the director coach in this series. And Shaheen comes and says that, oh, we experimented and I'm really happy. This was not an experiment. This was a farce in the name of an experiment. You had one set opening combination all series that Simon Rizwan will now open and Babur will be batting at first drop. You had five openers in the team. Get a new opening combination out every game. Learn things from the series. I don't mind them losing 5-0 as long as they're learning something. Over here, you've lost 4-1. The scoreline is still bad and you've learned nothing. We still The only thing we know is that that one template of Babur and Rizwan getting them to pass scores and their strike bowlers kind of helping them win those games and then the chasing bit is different altogether. But that's the only way we know Pakistan can win a game of T20. There is no plan B, C, D, E. No contingency mm. plan whatsoever. And it's just this resistance within the camp to like try different things. I feel like they're not going to learn more things about them. And what they're doing is they're ruining the games of these unabashed hitters in Azam Khan and Saima Yub. And Mohammad Aris wasn't even a part of the series, right? So it's really weird. I, I don't understand what the strategy and thinking and game plan is. I get that there's instability at the top. We have a new chairman now and this guy is another political person. Everyone's losing their shit. Uh, who knows, the PCB might even get uh, suspended like the SLC. You never know. But it's all like absolute shambles and I feel like they still have 11 to 12 T20s leading into the T20 World Cup and they're still not going to do any of that stuff that we want them to do. They're going to go with these fixed templates and just not going to learn all the different possibilities that you know they have at their disposal because they've got the resources. That's the part that pisses me off. They've got the resources. They fail to utilize them and, and they don't think left field or out of the box at all. It's, 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 it's really worrying. I think what they need is more formal players involved. Clearly, Mickey was holding it back. <laughs> I mean, you know that Mickey was still uh, on that contract, but he was in the NCA, not with the team in Australia and New Zealand. Now he's resigned, but they were paying his wages and they weren't utilizing him either. So that's just bizarre. Yeah. Uh, look, it's uh, something has gone very wrong there. We all know that Pakistan still has the talent to turn up to a World Cup and do something quite special, but it's... I don't know. There's, there's something messy. Um, they need to get rid of Hafiz. Um, mm. they ne- I mean, he's probably on his way out now that the leadership up top has changed. Yeah, well, that's the other, but that's the other problem, isn't it? Mm. So that's why all these things happen is because the leadership up top. That's not yeah. how these things should go. You know, you find professionals, you make sure that they're right for the job, you back them, you give them all the resources that's possible, and then you can judge them on what happens next. You can't yeah. judge Hafiz on any of this. It's all, it was crazy before he, he took the job, right? And um, look, that's also his fault because he gave himself this job. Um, <laughs> but Pretty much. It's two series. Anyway, it, it's just a mess as usual. I mean, the opening combination in particular, everyone makes this, this entire mainstream thing about Babar and Rizwan. I get it. You want to try out different opening combinations. You've got players with that skill set who could be very effective in the power play. And if you've got like slow turning conditions in the West Indies, maybe you want to capitalize on that power play, right? Because the game's only going to get slower as it progresses. But, you know, what's with this rigidity? Why are all of these guys playing all these games? We know what Babar and Rizwan and Shaheen and Fakhar and Iftikhar and all of these guys can do. Why are you not blooding your youngsters? And that's the part I don't get. That's the rigidity that literally, you know, it falls on deaf ears when it comes to me. But anyway. Well, I would go, it's one, one way or the other. If you're coming to the World Cup, all the youngsters are fine. You probably don't want three or four youngsters in the side. You want to make sure that your fast bowler, who's your captain, is actually doing his job. You, you want to make sure you know what your spinners are doing and that you have a clear separation of Baba and Rizwan and they both know exactly what they are supposed to be doing from here on in. Yeah. 
and then you played the same side for all the games, but that is the the thought process you go in with and you are very clear. They've kind of done nothing, hmm. right? They've kind of got anyway, uh, it's not yeah. good. I mean, role clarity has never been their strong suit. Whenever they do get that right, they win things. So, I mean, that's that. Uh, let's go to New Zealand now. The last mm-hmm. time we spoke on Uncovered, Finn Allen had scored a quick-fire 34 and an impressive 70-odd and 40-something deliveries. Well, Jared, in the third game in Dunedin, he scored a 62-ball 137. And in that process, he smashed 16 sixes, which is a new world record. He's tied with Hazratullah Zazai, who got those in Dehradun versus Ireland. I can guarantee you that at least half of those sixes resulted in a ball change. So, <laughs> I mean, Pakistan probably ended up bowling with like 9-10 balls in this game. And, you know, he's ended up as the leading run scorer of the series with, with 275 runs at a strike rate of 195. That is the telling part. That is probably the reason the scoreline reads 4-1 because no one in Pakistan could do that. And this is immense for New Zealand because they've kept the faith in this guy. And you mentioned that, of course, they have to keep the faith in certain kinds of players because they're not blessed with a lot of talent. But look at how well they've groomed him. And now all of a sudden, he looks primed for this T20 World Cup. Yeah, I still want to see him against the best attacks, uh, against the best attacks on wickets that are a little bit more helpful. Um, mm-hmm. I th- but if he can do this on flat pitches against anyone outside the two or three best teams, he could probably win them a couple of games in the in the normal part of the se- in the normal part of a World Cup just by being Finn Allen, and that's the transformative ability. If he's really going to be the player that I think. Uh, well, certainly IPL owners and, and and people were thinking early on, he needs to be able to do this consistently against everyone. But it's, this could be the series, right? Like Conway, uh, not Conway, sorry. Um, Chapman didn't average negative seven in this series. Uh, Glenn Phillips was fine. Had but... one. He had one innings. And that innings also was like, they were chasing 160 odd and he was going slow, but then he cashed in. So good for him. Yeah. So Glenn Phillips hasn't quite stood up. They need one... I, Keep saying it. They, I think they need one of those three guys to get to that next level, right, and and yeah. become that player. And I still got my doubts about uh, Finn Allen, all things considered. But on a on a ball striking ability, he's probably I probably have him on that Alex Hales level of hmm. if he just swings through the line, I kind of just expect the ball to disappear. Um, he's not overhitting it. You know, he should just be able to almost chip sixes. Um, uh, you know. Uh, the way that he bats, you know, not not muscular, not a sort of hmm. Andrew Simons or um, Jason Roy type, but that sort of player who can just, as long as he keeps his eye on the ball and his weaknesses don't get exposed too much, he can make real problems for people. I mean, it was the highest ever score by any New Zealand cricketer, male and female, I believe, in a T20 international. And what I, li- I like about him, because I follow those innings very closely, right? I was up all night watching this massacre. And... Uh, if you pitch it up to him, that's his slot. He goes for it. Even when they dragged it back, he was really strong on the pull shot. And versus Nawaz, he did get stuck initially, right? On the back foot. But then he started to leave his crease and hit sixes versus him as well. So I'm keen to see how he'll fare in the Caribbean, right? Because New Zealand, if, I, if I'm not wrong, they play the bulk of their games in the Caribbean. So that's going to be the real test. No, for sure. Hmm. Anyway, uh, some final thoughts. Of course, Tim Saudi, the leading wicket-taker of the series and the leading wicket-taker in T20 internationals. He used his slower ones to perfection. Ended up with 10 scalps uh, for the series. Uh, Daryl Mitchell also really had a good one. Mm. Some very useful 50s in there. We mentioned Glenn Phillips having that score. Finn Allen doing well. Chapman is there and thereabouts. Kane will be back inevitably. So, as or when I look at New Zealand as like a side, I feel like... They've, you know, checked a lot of boxes here in the build-up to the T20 World Cup because we mentioned prior how they're always like perennial dark horses and they'll make the knockout stages, but they'll not go one step deeper. They'll lose the semi or the final. I feel like they've got a really, really competent side over here and a good uh, blend of youth and experience. And I feel like it's working for them really well. And uh, yeah, I would, I would, you know... Ink them in as an outside contender, not like uh, between dark horses and actual contenders for this World Cup. Yeah. uh, Do they have an all-rounder? They have Satner and those conditions will help him. Yeah. So not really an all-rounder. I mean, fine with the bat, but not going to give them all that much. Nisham. I don't see Nisham playing this World Cup. Um, So that's their biggest issue. I think they have their more anchory players in Conway Williamson and Mitchell. Um, and Mitchell obviously can play catch up, but usually does 
traditionally at least uh, start a little bit slower. Mm. Um, so I think they need Phillips or, or um, uh, who were we just talking about? Finn Allen. We talked about, yeah, Finn um, Allen. Uh, we need, I think they need one of them to match up with the other guys. Um, and then I think Bolt and Southie are maybe in career best form in white ball cricket. Uh, you know, when it comes to slow balls and, and all that sort of stuff. Ishodi, Sports knuckleball might be really useful in those conditions. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Mm. I, you know, I I would assume it's going to be really handy. Mm. A lot probably still depends on Milne slash Ferguson. Well, I mean, if Ferguson is the old Ferguson, then they're a legitimate um, semi-final finalist chance. And if mm. not, maybe a lot of things have to go right for them. Um, they generally don't out-bat teams at major tournaments. Um, that's maybe that they've done it a couple of times, but mm. they usually it's the bowlers that keep them in everything. Um, so I, I, if Ferguson is Ferguson and the other two are in career best form, maybe it's a good time for them all to be coming together at, at the right stage. But there, yeah, there's a few weaknesses I think with, within yeah. that side. Well, what I'll say is that, uh, Prior to the series, I believe that both New Zealand and Pakistan, they play a very similar mold of, uh, of T20 cricket. And in the series, we saw New Zealand kind of change that narrative. Let's see if that persists. Let's, I let's will see say, if they carry that. we quite often see New Zealand do that at home because they play on small mm. wickets and they like to hit through the line. And generally, when they play away from home, they especially in World Cups, they go back to that more Pakistani method mm. uh, that you're talking about, which is kind of the batters making par and the bowlers making par look good. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, before we uh, end Uncovered Part 1, there is a Sri Lanka versus Zimbabwe series. The T20 series just ended and Jared Zimbabwe finally won a game. Uh, they defeated Sri Lanka in the second T20 International by four wickets. Matthews and Asalanka, they both scored 60s, but they went in vain because Craig Irvine, he scored a very useful 70. And then Luke Zhongwei and Clive Mandande, they had these whirlwind cameos at the end that took the chevrons home and it was a victory long time in the making and i loved it yeah i think i think um you know luke johnway is a, a fascinating cricketer because you kind of you look at his his overall record and it is kind of at times sort of hard to see like he's a below average bowler and he's never made any runs as an all-rounder but and also one more thing that you might not know is that back in the day when he was young, uh, Angelo Matthews used to be his display picture on Facebook. I did not know. I, I don't know <laughs> as much about his Facebook account as I should. He, he um, spoke about it, how Matthews was someone he idolized growing up. Oh, that, that is interesting. But <laughs> what he is doing, I think he's an, he's an all-rounder. Obviously, he has a bit of talent with bat and ball, and he's reaching his peak age, right? So yeah. I, I think um, he's around 27, 28. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, I have said for a while that I don't know how he fits into that side. I know they, when I mentioned that, some people from Zimbabwe sort of reached out from, you know, around the camp to say, no, no, trust us. He's going to come good. They need that uh, him to come good. And, you know, if they have him, Sakanda Raza and Ryan Pearl, there's three guys with all-around talent that you can kind of build a side around. It might That might be that sort of Netherlands slash New Zealand um, side where you don't have anyone in the top and your middle order does all the work and then you've got like 83 bowling options. Maybe it's that kind of team. But um, but again, you know, we talked about Zimbabwe maybe last week or the week before. They've, they're disappointing because you look at their side and they should win more than they do and they seem to get a win almost all the time but they never string enough together to actually make an impact anywhere. And, you know, I just hope that this is the start of something big for Zimbabwe. Um, mm. rather than the end of a golden generation. Because if it's the end of the golden generation, they're going to slip back so far because so many of these, you know, Namibia and mm. Papua New Guinea and Nepal, and there's so many teams ready to jump up to that next level. Yeah, and I mean, if for anyone who watched the previous episode of Uncovered, we went through how their batters, you know, Craig Irvine, Sean Williams, uh, Sikandar Raza, but people who they rely on with the bat, they are on the wrong side of 30 and Zimbabwe They're on the wrong side a... of 36, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, basically. And Zimbabwe might be in one of those really terrible situations where they don't have the batting to back up what looks like a really good pace attack. And Zypercost over here has, has just told us the Zimbabwe women have also brought an end to an 11-match losing streak dating back yes. to 2011. I saw that as well. 2021 in ODI. So that, that's 2011, great. that would be... Well, yeah. maybe they weren't playing... No, no, I saw that as well. Um, look... 
I just want Zimbabwe cricket to work. So maybe I think about it from the wrong way, but I do see talent there. And so yeah. I am thinking that there is something to build from, even if we do get a spate of retirements. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, just to clarify, that uh, streak was brought to an end by a tie. They didn't win that game in Harare. So just well, they got half for... a win. Well, yeah, they didn't yeah. lose. They broke the losing streak. They just didn't break <laughs> yeah. the, the streak without wins. As did the men's team, but they broke it with a win. And and yeah, I really hope to see some more positive results from them because it, it's a team that I really enjoy following. And I, I feel there's a lot of talent there that should be producing more results. But anyway, they may have leveled the series, but uh, Captain Wanindu Hasaranga, he spun his team to a 2-1 victory in the final game. He returned figures of 4 for 15. And he's hit form. And he'll certainly enjoy those conditions in the Caribbean, Jared, because uh, come World Cup, if he fires, Sri Lanka look all the more dangerous. It's just a fantastic player. Um, mm. I think I had him quite high up on my spinners list when we did crick picks. Um, he's got this weird low arm action, right? And he can spin it both ways. People don't pick him very well. Um, obviously, we're still hoping one day he'll hit the ball um, quite mm. hard as well. But, I, I, yeah, I think he's... Um, uh, actually, I didn't have him on my spinners list. It was on the all-rounders list, wasn't yeah, it? All-rounders yeah, all-rounders list. He was your second pick, I think. Yeah. I, I, look, I think he's fantastic. And... Uh, from the first time I saw him, I thought he was going to be a star. And I can't, that might have even been LPL I saw him in. I'll um, tell you when I saw him first, uh, Sri Lanka's C team back then, and a lot of those guys went on to become their A team. They were touring Pakistan, and Pakistan had recalled Umar Akmal and Ahmed Shahzad and those guys to the team. And Sir Faraz was captaining in his last series, and they defeated Pakistan 3 0 in their own backyard. And Wanindua Saranga was the guy who was just, you know, uh, basically making them look like absolute novices and mm. no one could pick that googly up. Still, people struggle and Pakistani batters in particular struggle big time to pick that googly up. You mentioned that versus teams that are, you know, not at that sort of level in international cricket. They look absolutely clueless versus Hasaranga. And now he's captain and he's had yeah. a stellar LPL. So there's a lot to, you know, uh, be encouraged with over here. No, I think, yeah, I, I'm, look, he's, I, I don't think we've seen the best of him yet. And um, I think he can he can be a better cricketer than we've even seen so far, and he's been fantastic. But yeah, when he plays people just below that top level, um, and I've talked to some of the associate cricketers faced him, they're just like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> right? And and I'll be honest, the last bowler they told me that about was Rashid Khan. Now ah. I don't think he's quite at Rashid Khan's level, but you know the parallels are there. Having you know he's he had some success in the. Um, in the IPL as well, you know, mm. overseas spinners in the IPL. There's, you know, there's a lot to like about him as a player. The leadership stuff, I don't, I don't know as much about, so I don't want to, you know, uh, massively get involved. Um, but so far in the IPL, he's got a bowling average of 21. Uh, a little bit expensive, still goes at over eight runs and over, but he can be a little bit like that. But um, certainly, just a, you know, a, an incredible talent. Um, at, I don't know how old would he be? Probably uh, late twenties, I'd say. Yeah, maybe maybe mid to early, uh, late 20s now, 25, 26 maybe. Probably. Um, that series I'm talking about was a while back. Yeah. Um, but look, I, I think he's uh, – I think I've told this story before, but it's, it's funny because you get heaps of things wrong in, the, in this job. Hmm. But I remember seeing him in whichever game it was randomly, and I'd never seen him before, and I messaged the person I thought might be his agent. I said, are you his agent? And he's like, yeah, I am. I said, he's going to make a million dollars. Um <laughs> You know, and he's probably already made more than that, right? Like, yeah. and it's early on in his career. Like, you could just tell that he was a next level talent. Um, and it's, you know, fantastic. Definitely the best talent I've seen come out of Sri Lanka in a long time. And there have been some exciting players, but he's just a cut above. And I mean, yeah, Mahesh, that, him and Danajay De Silva. Teekshan is also there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> also there. So I'm looking forward to watching that spin duo do their thing in this T20 World Cup. Spin triumvirate. You forgot DDS again, but that's fine. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's also the Willalage kid, right? I, I hope I've got the pronunciation right, but maybe he's in the mix as well. Anyway, that brings an end to Uncovered Part 1. For those of you in the comments section, thank you for your interactions. And uh, to all audio listeners, we'll just let everyone know that we're splitting Uncovered, as Jared mentioned, into a cricket news. Oh, sorry. The cricket performances part and then the cricket news part. This is the end of the cricket performances part. So everyone who's still with us on YouTube, you can stay on because we're going to carry this same show and we're going to have Uncovered Part 2. But that's it for Part 1. So yeah, we'll see you shortly after this break. And for those of you who are not going to be with us in the audio, thank you and goodbye. 
thank you for listening. This podcast has an ad-free version via Patreon, where there are also many other extras as well, including a Discord channel where you can chat to me directly. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. We are an independent podcast, so support us any way you can. Maybe give us a review, subscribe, or share on social media. All of these things help us. And when it comes to podcasts, word of mouth is always the best way of making it grow. If we had a guest on, chances are their socials are in the show notes. Please support everyone who comes on this show. I am Jared Kimber, and this is my network. But we also have hosts and co-hosts like Baron Kazi and Estelle Vassadavan. This network is overseen by Nick McCorriston, and each episode is produced by Ishit Kaburka at Sound Potion Studio. Mukunda Bandretti, or Muku as most people will know, is the head of our YouTube channels, and he also helps out with so many other things like the podcast recording. And there's so many other people we could thank here, but I just want to thank all the listeners and all the people who help behind the scenes that make this podcast work. Tired of editing your podcasts and videos because you are as lazy as me? Well, try using Memento FM, an AI-based service that cuts and dices, so all you have to do is hit post. Try Memento FM today.